Tonight, we have a message. Oh, there it is. Boom. See, it can't even be a surprise. It's, all the way, it's already up there. I can't even get y'all suspense because you already see it. Grace for growth is the message tonight. So we're going to first open up to Psalm 119, 4 through 6. Psalm 119, 4 through 6. So, verse 4. You have commanded us to keep your precepts, precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Why am I bringing up these scriptures that David is talking about here? Well, we're really going to focus on that last scripture right there. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I want to say that shame will keep you from reading your word. Shame will keep you from going to church and really participating. You might come, but it'll keep you from really entering in. It'll keep you from praying. And the main thing I'm going to talk about here is it keeps you from the throne room. Shame and sin consciousness will keep you from the throne room. And I'm talking to Christians. I know who I'm talking to tonight, believers. Now, we're going to be talking about what can keep you from the throne room. So you might say, you know, well, I did something uh, wrong. And I know before the blood of Jesus, before I got saved, it's under the blood. And for some reason in the mind, it's like you had all this grace when you got saved, but right after you got saved, he cut all the grace off your life. And after that, I go, well, no, Megan, this was after I got saved, though. No, like, I made this mistake, and I knew better, right? And those are the things that keep you from going to the throne room because of shame, because of things that you feel like, um, you know, sin consciousness. And it'll actually keep you from going into the throne room, which is the exact opposite of what the Lord would want you to do. John, uh, 1 John 1, 9. Y'all ought to have this memorized by heart. I think a lot of y'all probably do. <laughs> If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Say faithful. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I bring up this scripture because I want to tell you that this scripture is written to believers. 1 John uh, is written for fellowship of Christians. So when he wrote this, he was actually writing to other believers and he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The thing is, this was written for fellowship. Will you put this down? <laughs> this was written for fellowship. So you could see that that which could keep you from entering to the throne room is, is, is putting like a strain on that fellowship with the Lord. Just like in any other relationship, if you weren't coming and you weren't spending time together, that's going to put a strain on the, your relationship with the Lord. Your fellowshipping with God is so important. It's not just that, that relationship, like Pastor talks about a married couple, where that relationship is that you're married, that's on paper, it's set. You have a relationship, but then there's fellowship. If you haven't been fellowshipping, you can still pull out the paper and say, well, we're still married. But really, it's putting a strain on, the, on that if you're not fellowshipping, right? And you don't truly get to know each other if you're not fellowshipping. The throne room is actually where you get matured. The throne room is where you're perfected. So if you're running from God, when you make a mistake, and it could be, it could be that in your, in your family or how you grew up, mistakes weren't allowed to be made in your life. Maybe you, you mama cried, did cry over spilled milk. Maybe, you know, 
you didn't have grace growing up to make a mistake. But God is so full of grace and so full of mercy for us, and that grace actually enables us to change. Amen? Kind of getting ahead of myself there. Okay. So the throne room is where you're matured and where you're perfected. There's a difference between conviction and sin consciousness. There's a difference there. So conviction, as you know, the Holy Ghost is saying, hey, don't do that. And that's for your good. That's from the Lord. That's to keep you. That's the same. It's like that voice when the voice of your parent comes back to you. Don't put your hand on the hot stove. The reason they tell you is for your benefit, right? However, sin consciousness is when you're not aware that you've been made righteous with Jesus, that you're as righteous as Jesus. And so it's more of a past Sin that you've already, uh, that's already covered under the blood. Sin that's already been forgiven. What you've already gone to God, you've already got it under the blood. But then sin consciousness is like, oh, you dirty dog. You did that. And it tries to keep the memory of that past failure, that past mistake in your mind. And when when sin consciousness rules your mind rather than righteousness consciousness, you're not gonna go to the throne room because you're ashamed. And uh, Psalm 119, it said that he uh, wouldn't be ashamed to look at his commandments if the verses before that say he's doing his word. So conviction is different than sin consciousness. When you're born again, you are made righteous. You're made the righteousness of God, and therefore you now have access to the throne room. As a born-again believer, you have the right to the throne room. Pastor, I think, Pastor Lisa on Sunday She was just talking about a fridge, and she was saying that you have access to the fridge. Go and take whatever you want. Meaning at your parents' house growing up, you didn't even think about it. You just went to the fridge and opened it up and got what you wanted out of it because it was your parents' house. It belonged to you because it belonged to them, you know, that kind of thing. And so she's saying in the same way you're healing, in the same way your prosperity, in the same way open up the fridge and just take what you want. So righteousness has been given to you through the blood of Jesus, and now you have that access to the throne room. Now, again, with 1 John 1, 9, if you could put that back up there again, I want to show you, yes, this is written to believers, and I'm going to say something Pastor Darrell has said before. He said, when you were a sinner, you didn't need forgiveness. When you were a sinner, you needed to be made brand new. It wasn't just that you needed forgiveness of sins, but you actually were dead in sins, dead in sin and trespasses. You were dead. A dead person doesn't need forgiveness. A dead person needs life. A dead person needs to be made alive. So what is forgiveness actually for? Forgiveness is for fellowship. Forgiveness is for fellowship. That's what forgiveness is for, to keep fellowship. Amen? And something that you're already, you're alive unto God. You're no longer dead. You no longer are dead. But now let's say, you make, let's say you make a mistake. Now you ask for forgiveness and you restore the fellowship. And that's how that forgiveness works. You didn't need forgiveness when you were not born again. You needed a new spirit in you. But now you have a new spirit in you. And so that forgiveness is for you to keep fellowship with the Lord. In the same way that, like with a spouse, right? If you would ask forgiveness and it keeps the fellowshipping. But if instead, if you made a mistake and you stayed away from your spouse and you, you didn't want to talk to them and didn't want to spend time because you felt wrong, that wouldn't help restore the fellowship. 
And so it would actually cause there to be strain. So now your spirit man, your spirit man is already 100% perfect. I know Pastor Darrell has preached that and preached. I hope you got that in, inside, that your spirit man hasn't made 100% righteous unto God. But now we want the rest of you perfected, right? But this is how. Being in the throne room, spending time with God, reading his word, getting with God actually will perfect you, the rest of you, your soul and your flesh, your spirit. I mean, your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And so your spirit's already 100% righteous, but now that scripture that says you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you're working it out from your spirit into your soul and into your body. Actually, I have a, where's my phone? Oh, I have a quote from Hankins? Yes, Pastor Trina Hankins. And she was talking about, this is from her book, actually, about healing. You know her book that's white with the blue on it? Y'all know, because they bring it every time they come. And it's God's healing word, powerful. Um, She said this in it. God's way of healing is spiritual. Power ministers first to your spirit. It works in your soul, which is your mind, will, emotions, and then is distributed to your body. What she talks about in there is she's saying that if you just say, it says this in another part of it, if you just say, well, yeah, I believe in healing. There's a lot of people who you go to talk to them about things. Oh, yeah, I believe in that. I believe in healing. Okay. She likens it to someone saying, uh, like, the, heal- the word of God is your healing medicine. So she likens it to the same thing as saying, well, you know, I believe in it, but you're not actually taking the medicine. You're not actually reading the scriptures and declaring them over your life. So the thing is, you could say, oh, yeah, I believe that. But she says, if you're not taking it, then it's not going to work in your body. And so when you read that word, it's straightened to your spirit, and then it's being worked out because your spirit's already 100% righteous, but it needs to be worked out into your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. How do you do that? Reading the word, it transforms your mind. It renews your mind by the word of God. And so now your mind, your will, and emotions are getting in line with your spirit, and now it's being distributed into your body. And now your body has to line up, spirit, soul, body. And not just with healing, but in every, there's all the topics in here. That's how it works. Spirit, you work it out into your soul. You have to do something about your soul. You do something about your mind, your will, and your emotions. You line that up, and now that's on you, right? So your spirit man's already 100% perfect. You come to the throne room, your spirit man's perfect, but the rest of you needs to be perfected. Your spirit, soul, and mind needs to be perfected. So before I move further, because we're going to be talking a lot about grace tonight, before I move further, I want to talk about how Paul says, okay, does this mean, well, we could just sin, he'll just forgive us. It's fine, we could just sin, right? Obviously not. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I know, know those that labor among you. I know y'all. I know y'all, so I'm not going to overly, overly go over this when I, I literally know you guys. And I know that you don't think, well, we could just sin and do whatever we want. But Kenneth Hagin talks about a balanced gospel. There's a thing that some people will hear the word grace, and they go, oh, no, no, greasy grace, right? And then there's, and then there's the opposite side of the road. All works, no grace. And Kenneth Hagin said, a lot of ministers, if you think of it like a road, a lot of ministers will either get off on one side of the ditch or the other. They're either going to go all the way on one end or all the way on the other end. All grace, no discipline, all discipline, no grace. And he said, you need to be right in the middle of the road. We, have a ba- we preach a balanced gospel here. And so I'm going to touch a little bit on this. We have a high mark 
we don't have a low standard. We talked about this, um, the last time I preached, on transfiguration. That we are actually to be just like Jesus. I don't know if some Christians have forgot about that. And they've set such a low bar for Christians. Our high standard is Jesus. We are literally supposed to look, act, smell like, walk like, talk like Jesus. I don't know about smell like. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Sweet smelling aroma, I'm sure. So, <laughs> 1 John 1.6. Talking about this. 1 John 1.6. Did I not give you that? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I do, I do mean it. You'd think I would have given you all the right scriptures. Okay, 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. Come, someone can't say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I walk with Jesus and, and they walk in darkness. He's saying he's a liar. There are people who lie. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You're a liar. If you're in darkness, you're a liar. You might not know, you might not have the revelation that you're supposed to be like Jesus. But he's saying if you walk in darkness. Now the thing is, what he's addressing here in 1 John, let me see if I have time to go over this. Yeah, a little bit. I'll go over it a little bit. 1 John, he's actually addressing, there's uh, something called Gnosticism. And so he actually is cutting down this uh, ideology of Gnosticism, which is actually apostate Judaism mixed with... um, paganism that they took together and they're going, we're going to use a little bit of Judaism and we're going to use a little bit of this false, we're just going to mix it together. And they said some weird stuff. People who are (laughs) into Gnosticism, they believe that God, uh, that there's a little bit of darkness in him, that he's a little bit evil. And they believe that there's another spirit that was before God, just weird stuff. But what I like first, uh, what I like is in first John, I didn't give you this, but I'm going to go to it right now. First John, he actually, what's cool to me is that he addresses that spot on. And he says, I'm not even going to, I'm just quote it. He says, in God there is light and there is no darkness at all. So he immediately, when he's addressing them, right after he gave the greeting, he goes, boom. God, he's light. And in him there is no darkness at all. I want to get that straight with y'all. And then he goes on to say, if we fellowship with him, and he's light, he's not darkness, how are we to walk in darkness and be in fellowship with him? You can't. You can't. Light and darkness cannot fellowship. That's also in 2 Corinthians. Can't fellowship, right? So he's saying if you're going to fellowship with God, you can't be walking in darkness. So we're going to, we are looking at being just like Jesus, to mature unto full maturity, but do you think that's going to happen outside of his presence? Is that going to happen outside of fellowshipping with him? It's not. For some reason, in the flesh, or in, in, if, if, if you've had a moment of carnality before, where you feel like you need to go and clean yourself before getting in the presence of God, it's literally like, it's like saying, I don't want to go to the shower because I'm, di- I'm dirty. <laughs> you're going to stay away from the shower because you're dirty. <laughs> Get into the place that will make you clean. Get into the place that will actually bring you to the maturity of Christ. It's shame and it's guilt, which are all wiles of the devil, to try to get you to stay out of the throne room of God. So if you make a mistake, you don't run from God, or how will you ever mature? How will you ever mature if you run from God when you make a mistake? So if you're not in the throne room, you're not spending time fellowshipping, you won't be 
perfected. So the sin nature that has been taken away out of us, out of our spirit, that sin nature has been taken, that means you're no longer bound to sin, right? Your Sin is no longer your master. So now what it is, is if you sin, now it's your choice. You're making the choice to. When before you had a sin nature, you couldn't help it. That was your nature. But God took away the, I can't help but sin. And he made you brand new in your spirit. And now you're working that out into your soul. And now if you sin, it's, it's your choice. But you actually have a choice now. So now you got to work that into your soul. Someone, Psalm 119.11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the word in your heart. It's getting the word on the inside of you that will cause you to not want to sin. It says God's goodness leads you to repentance. It's his goodness. You know, when you, when you got born again and you started to think about the goodness of God, it made you not want to do the things that were displeasing to him. It made you not want to do the things that were not pleasing in his sight. Now, I wanted to get a balance here. So we're not all, oh, we're all grace or we're all discipline. But the main thing tonight I want to talk about is grace. Now, grace I've noticed some ministers make it seem like it's bad, like you want to wait, run away from that. But you need it. Without grace, you, weren't even, you wouldn't be saved. You wouldn't be saved. What they're doing is a lot of times over the course of generations, there'll be one generation that's so on one side that the next generation goes to the polar opposite. That's what happened with, like, like no, let me not say that because I don't want that minister to sound. Never mind. But a lot of times there'll be people who will go to the total opposite. If you could even think of even with your parents or someone you know, their, you know their parents was, did something, now the kid does. I'll give you an example. I got a good example, actually. <laughs> you ever notice how this generation is very more, I would say, from what I've seen, a lot more modern and very minimalistic. Like if you look at how the new, how stuff looks, homes, apartments, it's very, very minimalistic. But if you look at the generation before, it's a lot of knickknacks and it's a lot of like very comforting things, right? So it's almost like, man, this, like, it's like a gender got so tight, all this stuff that they're like, I don't want anything, on the t- nothing in here. So it's like, <laughs> there's a generation that would be so much on the works that the next generation went all the way to all the way to grace, but we need to have a balanced gospel of grace and discipline, amen? It's a balance. So in the process of maturing, if you make a mistake, you, you, if you run, you will not get matured. You will stay the same. But grace, this is what grace is for right here. <laughs> I was actually in another city the other weekend ago, and I was worshiping. Um, and I remember I just said to the Lord, I was like, Lord, thank you for your grace that allows me to change. And from that, I got a lot of stuff. But grace actually helps you to change, not to stay the same. So the reason why people take grace and make it sound like bad is because they'll take it. And you, I know you've heard, I know y'all have heard this before. Oh, grace is not a license to sin. It is true. It is true. Why? Because grace actually empowers you to change. Grace actually causes you to live above sin, right? So grace actually helps you to change. If you didn't have grace to be able to change, if you uh, wanted to change your mindset, maybe there's something you've thought before and now you have new insight and you go, you know what? I'm not going to think like that anymore. Actually, I'm going to think like this. That's grace allowing you to make that change. If you didn't have that grace, you wouldn't be able to make that change. You'd be stuck in that same way. But the grace actually allows you to make the proper changes. 
And the same thing with other people. Am I skipping ahead? I kind of am. Okay, I'm a halt on that thought. <laughs> to not say the same. Another thing I want to say is in an environment, in an environment of grace, you can grow. That's where we get the summer title, Grace, uh, grace for Growth. <laughs> so in an environment of grace is where you can actually grow. Think of it like a greenhouse. It's an environment of grace that you can actually grow. So think an example, a marriage. Again, right? If you weren't allowed, if you didn't have any kind of grace to be able to make changes, then there would be no growth. In the same way with music, uh, <laughs> If you've ever played an instrument, if you've ever gotten with a band or whatever, and you would know, or if you've had a music teacher, if you weren't allowed to make any mistakes, you would have to just stop right there. You, you wouldn't be able to continue. I can give you another uh, example with music. Actually, when I was like on the come up with drums, I'm still on the come up, but on the come up with drums, <laughs> um, I remember not wanting to do certain fills and not kind of go out of the box. Oh, a fill is a... Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> Wanting to do certain things on the drums, but, oh, it might, it might mess it up. It might sound bad. And I remember we had a, um, we had a little, it was Chloe, Ocel, myself, someone, I don't remember who else was here. You know what I'm talking about? And we did like a little, a little session, just play, not, not for anything, just to play and get more, uh, you you're supposed to get more acquainted with the other band members so you can flow together easily. You understand how each other work, yada, yada. So we were doing that, and I remember I was told, because um, I was like, oh, I wanted to do certain things, but you don't want to mess it up and mess everybody up or whatever. And I remember it was like, no, no, there's no pressure. Like, do what you want. You're allowed to make a mistake here, you know. And in that, it's like, man, from that, you can grow. In that environment of grace, you can grow and actually mature and become unto, be mature and the word perfection are like the same word. Bring to full maturity means to bring to full perfection. And so to be able to be made mature and to be made perfect like Christ, you have to be able to have grace to grow. And God knows that. And he's given you grace to grow. So just like that with parents. <laughs> with parents, you have, you know, you know, you have grace and you have discipline. If you were all discipline, do y'all, do y'all, some of y'all know any parents that were like all discipline? You weren't allowed to make a mistake, but also have you seen parents that had all grace and did not have any discipline? All discipline and no grace, that's like child abuse, but all grace and no discipline, but all grace and no discipline is also child abuse. Don't get me wrong. Listen. All grace and no discipline is, I know people who said, I wish my parents were more, cared, care for me enough to be more disciplined. There are kids who grew up and they didn't care if they didn't, their parents didn't care if they came home at 3 a.m., didn't care if they were out drinking, didn't, there are parents that didn't have that disciplinary action and the kid felt uncared for the kid could feel that they didn't have enough discipline. Kids actually thrive with this, not all discipline and no grace, but it's a balance of both, and we are God's kids. There is a balance of both discipline and grace that allows us to grow. Amen? That's powerful. <laughs> all one and not the other is abuse, but you got to have a balance of both. So another uh, example of grace is a child learning to walk. Imagine James when he was first learning to walk. He said, <laughs> you know how kids like waddle when they first walk? It's cute. 
So imagine he started to do that and he fell, right? And you're like, all right, all right, you know, he falls again. You're like, all right, one more time. And he falls and you're like, that's it, walking's not for you. You're just not meant to walk. This is just not working out for you. Imagine if they stopped him instead of allowing him to make those mistakes until he grew and matured and can now walk straight. But if they cut him off, you, what's wrong with you? You need to just stop walking. Then he wouldn't have actually been able to mature in walking, right? Like all of us. So another thing I want to talk about is grace for other people. Grace for other people. So we've been talking about having grace, and we're like, yeah, grace for us, right? God gives grace, but now we're going to talk about you having grace for other people. So I'm going to give an example. Have you ever, I know you have, when you've hurt yourself on something, you know, you hurt something, immediately what do you do? You grab it. That's your, that's your reaction. Um, actually, when I wrote part of this sermon, I wrote it like a long time ago. I think like a year, part of it, like a year ago or something. <laughs> and in the notes, it was the notes on my phone, actually. And it said, yesterday I hit my head on the microwave. <laughs> and before even looking to see what I hit my head on, I just went like this, like automatically, because I wasn't looking. And I think maybe the door was open. I don't know. It was probably in there. It probably wasn't even, I think it was here at the church or something. And uh, without even looking, you grab it. And then you're like, okay, it doesn't really hurt that bad. But it's a reaction to, to grab what's hurting. It's a reaction to grab it. So other people in the body of Christ, that's other parts of your body. They are part of your body. And if they get hurt, if something happens, they make a mistake, they fall, whatever it is, you need to grab them. And you need to bring them close. Our body I believe it's just an example of what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. You're supposed to grab them, bring them in, help them. We're not someone to say, well, I hurt you, now we're going to cut you off. Imagine hurting your thumb so you just cut your whole hand off. <laughs> right? But sometimes you see that. You see if someone, you know, and you, you hold a high standard on them, even, maybe even if you don't hold it on yourself, you hold a higher standard on them, and you're like, you did what? You knew better. She knew better. She knew better. And now you don't want to associate yourself with them. Who would you want that? Would you want that on yourself? God didn't do that to you. The thing is, having grace for other part of your body is helping protect your own body. It's our own body. Think of this church, think of the people here in this congregation as part of you. It's an extension of you. Each part of you is an extension of you and truly is an extension of Christ as the head. Amen? Another example of that is like a baby. You know when a baby, you know when a baby first comes out like a little bit later and they're still in a cradled position, even though they're out of the womb, because in the womb that was the position they were in. This cradled position is a position of safety, and it's all of the parts brought together. It's a closeness, and it brings safety. In the same way, having the people in the body of Christ brought together in its closeness, there's safety. Amen. And so having grace for your other body limbs will help you. It will help fulfill the will of God here on this earth if you would have grace for people. It would help the will of God be here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, they're close, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Another thing I want to say there is that anytime, if, if, if gossip ever tries to come up, 
in you, in your life. Say you're going to say something maybe and say, I want you to picture, you know those torturing devices? They put the limbs on and stretch the limbs apart. That's gossip in a church. Gossip in a church pulls the limbs apart from each other. Gossip in the church tears apart the body that is supposed to be together, helping each other, protecting each other, giving each other grace to grow. And so anytime you hear gossip, I want you to think of a torturing device pulling limbs apart. And I think that'll help paint a picture in the mind of what you're actually doing. Instead of bringing others in, bringing others closer. Hey, let's grow together. Let me help you. What are you going through? Are you okay? Let's come together and let's lift you up. Because when you're lifted up, I'm lifted up. When this part of my body's up, my whole, I'm up. Right? Amen? And so... I know that pastors and leaders, or even, a, even your spouse maybe, you might have higher expectations, right? And for good reasons. There are higher standards on pastors and leaders for good reason, and there needs to be, and there should be. But just like with other people, really with anyone, you should have reserved grace set aside. You should have pre-reserved grace for any person that you're in contact with. Have set aside grace, because you already know. Have pre-reserved grace for that person, because if you don't have any grace, because it's good to have someone highly esteem someone is good, but if you don't have any reserved grace for them, if they make any kind of thing, even if it's not a mistake, just something you don't agree with, all of a sudden it comes crashing. Now, because you had a higher standard on them than somebody else, it's like worse if they did it than somebody else, which means you didn't have any grace even reserved for them at all. And so it actually, it causes more of that strain than if you had pre-reserved grace. I already, this is a new day. His mercies are new every morning for me. He has grace for me. It's a new day. My grace tank is filled up to give out to other people. I'm going to have grace for other people. I'm going to go today and I'm going to know, you know what? I got pre-reserved grace already ready for all of (laughs) y'all. And that will also keep you, that'll keep you also from getting What's the word? Um, what's the word? Uh, offended. That's the word. Woo! That's a big one. I had to think of what it was called. That'll keep you from getting offended if you have pre-reserved grace for people. But if you don't got no grace for nobody, you're probably going to be touchy. And you're probably going to get offended. <laughs> and we don't want that. Amen. So a little bit here. If you were, you don't have to. I'm just using this as an example. If you were to close your eyes. And think about why, if, if this is, you know, applies to you, why you maybe haven't been in the throne room. Or think about in the past, you know, why you haven't been going to the throne room. And you might think, well, it was, at one point it was a certain thing I did. Like I felt like I made a kind of mistake and then I was kind of, I was distracted and I'd been going out and doing this and doing this and didn't really make time and then realized a week went by and I hadn't really prayed. And then now, say you even... Ask for forgiveness. Say that's already under the blood. It's already out of your mind. You already forgot about it. You're good. But now it's because it's been a while. So now I'm not going to the throne room because it's been a while. I haven't been in there in a while. And now it's a cycle. And now you're staying out of the throne room. And at first, it might have been because of a, a genuine, you know, something you might have done that you felt like, oh, I made a mistake. But now it's just because you haven't been in there in a while. So now you're not going to be in there for an even longer while, which is a plan of Satan. It's a cycle that Satan likes to keep in people that, well, you've already gone this far. You've already done this much. And another thing, do I have, yeah, we're going to go there. Yeah. Satan will say to you, 
you've already started or you've already done this much, you might as well finish. It might be something you know the Lord's telling you not to do or telling you not to say or telling you not to whatever, and you already started. Oh, you already started. You might as well finish now. And Satan keeps you in a cycle that way. Because then right after you finish, oh, you know, yeah, I'm just going to say it or I'm just going to do that thing that, you know, you might was going to do something and you started and was like, maybe I shouldn't. Well, you already gone this far. Might as well just finish it now. And then you finish it and then he says, oh, you sorry, dog. Why'd you do that? <laughs> Why'd you do that? Now, yeah, now you got shame. And now the shame puts you back into the cycle from the beginning again. And it's a Satan cycle to keep you away from the throne room. It's a cycle to keep you away from the things of God, to keep you away from pursuing God. Because he thinks if he can get you in a cycle where you're beating up yourself, you're beating up the other bodies of Christ, limbs in the body of Christ because you didn't have grace for yourself, now you don't have grace for them either. And he keeps you in a cycle of shame. And shame keeps you out of the presence of God. From you, not from God, from your end. <laughs> Sin consciousness. So he can try to use that, that shame and, and sin consciousness. But once you've already asked for forgiveness of something, you've already, it's under the blood of Jesus. And if God doesn't see it any longer, why are you looking at it any longer? If God himself said, I'm not going to view you in this, then why are you viewing you in that? Because the reason God did that and gave you that grace is so you don't have to stay there, so you can come up. And God's saying, come up higher. I want you to come up here with me. I want you to walk with me in the cool of the day. I want to fellowship with you. I want to speak with you throughout the day. And the sin consciousness and these things that are blocking the shame and the guilt that he already took care of, he already paid the price, but you're the one keeping it alive in your mind is keeping you from fellowshipping with him. It's keeping you from the throne room. But if you'd know, God has already set aside for me grace. He already gave me grace. And not just for when I got saved, but he continues to give me grace. It wasn't grace and all of a sudden it closed up after I got saved. I remember thinking that before in the past. Thinking, yeah, but I was, I'm already born again. I already know better. Like I already, you know, that was for when I was a sinner. If God, if it says when you were still dead in sin and trespasses, God himself, he died for you. He gave himself up for you, sat you in heavenly places. When you were still dead in your sin and trespasses, how much more as a born-again child of God? How much more as someone who follows him and fellowships with him and is an actual son of God, full of light, right? So why would it, why would it stop now? All of a sudden it stops for you. <laughs> and it's good to have high standards, it's good to have high standards. I want to be like Christ, but to be able to get there, you have to give yourself grace to grow. So another example I'm going to give there is like uh, a kid coming home. Some of y'all have, maybe have a child or have children that you're believing God to come back into the kingdom, come back home, come back into the will of God for their life. And now I want you to imagine if that son or daughter is in whatever place they're in right now, and they go, you know what? And they feel they, they, the Lord been working on their heart, and now they decide, I think I want to come home. I, I want to I do what God has for me. I'm done doing all this. I'm done being with the slop and the pigs, like the prodigal son. I'm done, you know, I want to come home. And then when they go to come home, they go, oh, well, it's been a while, though. Like, it's been a long time. I haven't really been home. Meanwhile, the mama is at home praying for them to come home. And they go, what if she... What is she going to, you know, it's been a while, so like what is she going to think now? 
So now it's not the problem that's, that was the, the problem, which was them not wanting to come home, not wanting to fulfill the call of God, and want to do their own way. Now that's taken care of, but now it's because they haven't been there in a while. So now they're like, I don't know, it's been a while. I don't know if that. How much more would that mother or that father, how much more, since it's been a while, want you to come home? How much more would they want you to come into their presence, spend time with them since it's been a while? So the same thing with the, pre- the entering into the throne room of God. How much more is God waiting for you to come and to fellowship with him? How much, how much more is he like, I want you to come and I want you to talk with me. I want you to walk with me. I have things I want to tell you. I have things I want to show you. I have things I have for you to do. Great and mighty things, but if you don't come and spend time with me, if you don't come up here with me, then how, how, and you go, oh, no, because it's been a while. Uh, I don't know. It's been like a week since I prayed. I feel kind of, I don't know if I should do that. How much more is God saying, no, I want you to do that. No, I want you to come to the throne room. No, I want you to come and spend time with me. Amen. God's not the one keeping you from the throne room. You already seen what God would do. Can you pull up Luke 15, 11 through 32? You already seen what God would do. A certain man had two sons. Y'all know where this is going. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me my money. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he journeyed to a far country, out of the will of God, leaving. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do what I want to do. And there he wasted all the possessions with prodigal living, wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So he's been out of the presence of his father. He hasn't been spending time with the Lord. And now he's in want, and now he's in lack. If you, sp- if you aren't spending time in the presence of God in the throne room, you're in lack. You're in need. You're in need. So he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with all the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise. I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm a dirty dog. And I don't deserve anything. And I'm awful. And I know you don't love me anymore. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't even look at me. I am a worm. Make me like one of your hired servants. Just a servant. Not a son. Just a servant. He took himself out of the position of sonship and brought himself into a position of servant, not a son. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still, that doesn't give you chills. (laughs) When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. I'm not righteous. He was never made righteous by his works. He was already his son because that was who he was. He was the son. He already was in the bloodline. That was his DNA. He already was the son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found, and they began to be merry. We can stop right there. The thing is, the son was already a son. He was already a son when he left. So I would say here, talking about a Christian, 
you were already, you're already a son. He's already a son. It wasn't a random person in servanthood. Then he adopted him, and now he's his son. He was already a son. So I would liken that to someone who's already a born-again believer, and they decide, I want to go off and do something my own way, or even if it's not that large, even if it's just a small mistake, you know, whatever it is. He, in his own self, was condemning himself. He was putting shame on himself, and he was coming up with, you know, don't even, don't even allow me to come back into the, the inner chambers. Don't allow me to come back as your son, just even just a servant. It, it, that's it. That's all I'm asking you for. But the father saw him afar off, and he ran to him, and he welcomed him. And God in the throne room is waiting with his arms open. I know you're my son. I know you're my daughter. I know I've seen everything. And yet still, I want you to come and spend time with me. I want you to come into my presence. I want to regain the fellowship with you. I don't care how long it's been. I want to regain the fellowship with you. Amen? So... God is not the one keeping you from that throne room. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. I'm not saying I'm all the way fully there. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting everything that was behind. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I'm forgetting everything. Everything that's not beneficial to my relationship, my fellowship with God. Everything that could try to hold me back. Every weight, every snare, I'm letting it go so that I can press forward. Satan is the one who wants you to remember those things that are behind. Because if you're looking behind, you cannot move forward. You have to be looking ahead to move forward. And the thing is, those, let's say, let me think here. Say there was something you had done. Say there was a mistake or something. And now it's a new day. And it says his mercies are new every morning. And so today, a new day, you could start over and, be, and start fresh. But if instead you're still thinking on those things and now a week goes by and two weeks goes by and three weeks and eight weeks goes by and you could have already moved forward. But now what could have been a day mistake has now been an eight-week mistake and instead of moving forward and increasing and growing in God you're being stuck with something that's already in the past and that's how the devil would try to keep you from fulfilling the call of God that's why Paul says I'm I'm leaving everything I'm forgetting everything that's behind me and I'm pressing forward I'm pressing ahead I'm getting into the throne room of God I'm fellowshipping with the Lord I'm going for it I'm pursuing the call of God on my life and I'm going to keep going every day and I'm going to go and I'm going to lean and rely on his grace that I know he's given me to allow me to grow amen forget what's behind Satan wants people to stay in the slop with the pigs Satan wants people to say, I'm just a servant. If I go back, he's not even going to want me. He's not even going to love me. He's not even going to talk to me. He's not going to talk to me the same way he did. The Holy Ghost won't talk to me like he did because of what I, what I did. Did he say that? No. You said that. You, you made that up because in your own human experiences with other people who weren't imitating God may have caused you to believe that God is the same way as those people who didn't give you grace and don't talk to you the same way and won't, whatever. God's not like that. God is rich in mercy. Amen. So he, he just, he wants you to run back to God. Sin consciousness says run from God and righteousness by faith says run to God. Amen. The point of grace 
is to bring you back to the Father. When you hang out with God, you're going to be like God. When you spend time with a giver, you're going to be a giver. You spend time with a ha-ha-ha, you're going to ha-ha-ha like him. (laughs) If you spend time with the grace giver, you're going to give more grace. When you realize how much grace God has put on your life, you're going to give that grace to other people. But allow that to change you. Allow that to mold your thinking for yourself and for other people. Amen? Hebrews 4, 16. This, I was actually, I did like this whole sermon and then realized this scripture is the most perfect scripture that could go for this sermon. (laughs) Let us therefore come boldly. Everyone say boldly to the throne of grace (laughs) that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help in time of need. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly. The prodigal son, that wasn't bold. He was like, I don't know. And then when he was a far off God, he's telling you, I want you to come boldly. Why? Because you lean and rely on the blood of Jesus. You're not leaning and relying on your own works. You're not leaning and relying on what you've done for God or didn't do or whatever. You're saying, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I receive the blood. I receive the grace and the mercy that came with the blood. The the grace that allows me to change. The grace that allows me to level up. I'm pursuing the call of God on my life and I'm leaning into the grace God is helping me to fulfill this call with. Amen? Amen. Hmm. Thinking if I want to tell this story or not. Yes, I do. Okay. Little story time. Because we got, we got, we got time. So, when I was in another city, <laughs> in Bible school, I was, I was in Bible school. Like I just said, I was in Bible school. I was doing the things of God. And now I'm not here. I'm not telling you. I didn't backslide. I didn't. I was on fire for God. So I am. So it's not like that. However... Any little thing, let me say it this way. Have you ever thought, well, God, you know, he, he knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm going to say. He knows me. I talk to him all the time. I talk to him every day. So, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I say, hey, uh, good morning, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you for today. And so, you know, I talk to him every day. But if you had a spouse and you just said, well, I texted them today. I said something to them. I text them throughout the day. That wouldn't be enough in your time with God. And I was, man, when I tell you, I'm talking, we were were doing the things of God. We were out doing stuff. (laughs) Like, I'm talking outreaches. I'm talking ministry, like, 24-7. I'm talking the things of God, and it was great, and it was awesome, and I loved it. Didn't backslide or nothing, <laughs> but there was something I realized that I wasn't spending as much fellowship, personal fellowship time with God, where you're just you by yourself, not in the congregation, and you might have been, okay, right before you go to bed, I'm talking about a planned date with the Lord, yes. right? And so I remember, <laughs> I remember I was in my room, and I just came from a service, like a powerful, like, the great service, entering in, worship, every, all of that. And I remember I came home, and I was like, all right. And then my two roommates were downstairs. And I was like, hey. They're like, hey, what's up, Meg? And they were like on this, on this laptop. I'm like, hey. And I go upstairs in our townhouse, and I sat on my bed, and I pulled out my phone, and I just went on Facebook. This was right after a service. It was a good service, but it was, I mean, it was, you know, service. So 
I'm look, uh, I was on Facebook, and I felt on the inside, go pray. And I, I like, hesitated for, like, half a second, and I, like, went to scroll again. And then, real, and then it hit me, like, what was just said to me. And my spirit man was like, did you just continue scrolling? My spirit man was like, Psh. So I was like, I'm so sorry, Lord. And I, like, threw my phone. Literally, I, like, threw my phone in bed. And I got up, and I'm like, I don't know what you want me to pray about, so I'll just pray in the Holy Ghost. Father, I'm just going to keep praying until you tell me to stop because I don't know exactly what you want me to pray about. So I'm praying. I'm praying for a while, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is. And then I felt like a stop. And I felt like a get real with me. Like, okay. You know, thought I thought I was being real, but all right. So I got on my knees and something came up in my heart that the Lord showed me that I hadn't addressed with him. And it's something that in your mind, it's like, well, I talk to you every day. I, I do spend time. I do, But it wasn't that specific thing I hadn't brought before the Lord and said, hey, I want to talk to you about this. Can I talk to you about this? Or not can I, can, but like, I want to talk to you about this. And so God wants it to come out of your mouth. God wants you to say it to him, even if he, he knows what's in your heart. He, know, he knows, yes, but he wants you to say it to him. Yeah. So I got on my knees. I said, okay. And I brought this, something that was in my heart. I brought it before him. And when I did, <laughs> the, pow- the presence of God <sighs> came in so strong. Um, when I say, you think holy roller, I'm talking, I was screaming rolling, laughing, crying, snotting, all of it. So, and I was so loud, I'm be honest with you. I was so loud that I was like, it's a townhouse. So it's side by side for other townhouses. I was like, what if they call the cops? Like I for real thought was like, what if they call the cops? They think something's happening over here. But I, I, I didn't allow that. I was getting what I needed from God. I was getting my touch. I was getting my touch. You might be like, well, you know, that's not necessarily needed, you know. Let me tell you, if you ever touch an electric socket, if you ever touch anything that has power in it, your body's going to respond to that power. I can tell you that right now. And I was responding to that power. (laughs) And, you know, like I said, oh, that's not, you know. No, let me not say that. (laughs) Watchful. Uh, (laughs) That's not necessary, right? You know what that reminds me of? That's not necessary. Mikhail, David's wife. Uh, You're a little undignified, huh? Aren't you a king? You don't need to be dancing like that. You don't need to be doing that. Isn't that what Mikhail said? Let me tell you something. (laughs) If you think, well, that's just unnecessary, you you sounding like Mikhail. And you want to be like David. You want to be like David. I'll dance before the Lord. I'll get before the Lord. I do not care. He's my God. I receive a touch from God. I don't care where I am. I don't care how it sounds. I don't care how it looks. That's my God. That's my God. Not my mama's God. Well, you're God too. But not, you know, not my brother's God. Not my whoever's God. My God. Right? So anyway, I'm getting touched by the Lord. <laughs> I had to just throw that in there. I was getting touched by the Lord like crazy. Like, like, like when you can't get off the floor. When you go to get off the floor, you can't get off like you you going back down you know what I'm saying so <laughs> finally when it had you know when it had lifted I guess you could say you could say when it starts to lift after however much I don't know how much time passed I don't remember but it started lifting 
this is the most random thing ever, but as I'm sitting there and it had lifted, I seen this cup on my thing. I was like, I should probably wash that. So I got my cup and, you know, roommates. So I go down, go to go downstairs. And when I come down the stairs, <laughs> when I came down the stairs, my two roommates were face down on the ground, flat. And, like, some worship music was playing, like, from one of their phones, flat on the ground. And I was like, and I was still, you know, if you ever been touched by the Lord, you know when it's like lifted, but like you're still like in it. So you're kind of like, you're like walking kind of like, mm, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I was like, and I was going to wash it, but I, they, were, it was, mm, they were right there. And this, I didn't want to make noise. So I was just like, <laughs> and I just like walked back upstairs and my like eyes are puffy. And I'm like, so then uh, later on, I ended up talking to one of my roommates, Tanisha. And she told me, she's like, Meg. Meg, what happened up there? And I was like, I was like, what? You know what he said? She said, we were down here. And I seen them when I came in. They were on the laptop. Like one of them was showing the other something, Ashley, Tanisha. And they were doing something on there. And uh, she was like, we were down here. And you seen, we were just on our computer. And she said, I stopped. And I was like, I looked at Ashley and I was like, do you feel that? And Ashley's like, what? And she's like, do you feel that? And they just, the presence of God filled the house strong. When I, I'm talking about prostate, face down, planted on the ground <laughs> when I went down there. The thing is, when you allow, when you get in close fellowship with the Lord, when you get, I'm talking, I'm talking intimacy with God. It will not only affect your life and touch you, but it will affect the people around you. And it will touch the people around you. You have to give yourself grace, and you have to make sure you're in that throne room and you're fellowshipping with God. Because it not only affects you, but it affects everyone around you. It affects your family. And you're here for a, a reason. You're here for this time to fulfill a purpose on your life. Every person here has a purpose of God on your life. Even if you feel like you haven't entered into that, even if you feel like, well, today's a new day, start tonight. Get before the Lord and say, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? And you get real with God and he'll get real with you. I'm telling you, he will get real with you. But you have to give yourself grace and get in that throne room, whether you feel like this, that, whatever. Don't go by what your flesh is telling you. You go by what you already know to be true in the word of God. Because you truly, you, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. What are you, whatever you're looking at, what you're spending time with, you will be that. Another way to say that is you are what you eat. <laughs> you are what you eat. <laughs> you eat this, that's what you'll be. But really, when I, my main thing here is that grace, the whole reason, the whole point of grace is for your growth. God gives you grace, allow that to be a revelation to you. Allow that to help you in your walk with God and then also use it when you're, with your walk with other people. Amen. All right, Father, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you have on each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you that if anyone was in here and had any kind of hesitancy to come into your throne room, Lord, I thank you that they now have a boldness on the inside of them. That by the blood, I have faith that the blood of Jesus has washed me, made me clean, 
And as much as I am saved is as much as I am, uh, as much as I have the right to the throne room. The same grace that saved me is the same grace that he has on my life and allowing me to grow, to grow in the things of God, to mature and to become perfect like Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your blood. Thank you for every person that's here, Lord. Father, I thank you that they'd have grace with other people. And I thank you, Father, that they would not look back, that they would forget those things that are behind, that they would press forward toward the mark in the mighty name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.